I just booked uh, a missionary who will be here uh, in May, I think it is. And he had a couple of requests. He needed uh, a projector. Well, he had a projector. He needed a good screen. And he wanted uh, everyone to sit up at the front because the some of the pictures were dark, weren't uh, easily seen. So I said we could supply the screen. <coughs> but uh, I said if if you know of a way to make people sit up the front, maybe we could get together and patent it. But <coughs> he said, well, he'll perhaps ask the people to sit up when he comes. But it's always struck me as strange that you can't get people to sit in the front rows. You can always fill in the back ones. <coughs> but thank you for being here anyway. Turn with me please to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Now in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. In Philippians 3 and 17 says, Brethren, be fellows together of me, and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an ensample. <coughs> I read recently the words of a preacher to his congregation. I have been urging you to consider the spiritual value of Christian biography. I have referred again and again to Hebrews 13 and 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Experience teaches us and the Bible teaches us that the lives of great men and women of great power to inspire us and shape us. Then he quotes the secular writer of a biographical history of missions. The Christian missionary movement through the centuries has been perpetuated by missionary biography. In fact, it became the most fruitful stimulus of the vocation during the 19th century. The preacher goes on to say, 
If Jesus can captivate a person by his spirit and wisdom and power and love, then it is not surprising that those who have walked closest to him and have a large portion of his spirit will also captivate us. That is the power and value of Christian biography. <coughs> the young people and the older people can pay heed to that. There are many biography type books in our library upstairs. We'd all benefit from a read of them. And again, I'd recommend the Pilgrim Church by E.H. Broadbent to give us an idea of how we got to where we are. The type of people who brought us here. One time I began a series on people whose life should have influenced for good in a Christian way. It was titled Lessons from the Life of and it included the lives of Christian martyrs and pioneer missionaries as well as Bible characters. I found it a pleasant and rewarding a study. At least I did. I can't answer for those who, who listened to me. For some time I have been trying to prepare a series on the epistle, the epistles of the Apostle Peter. And it now seems that others have had the same idea. Nonetheless, it's something I will try to complete. As I began working on an introduction to it, I was primarily interested in Peter as a person and what I could learn from the way he lived his life. Lessons from the life of Peter, you might say. I have to admit I gave up a couple of times because I could not find what I had hoped to find. There's very little in Scripture telling us of the life of the Apostles. And it was not until I accepted this as being by purpose that I have been able to begin again. As it happens, there's more information given about Peter than any of the other Apostles. <clears throat> but the design of Scripture is to show Christ not his followers. It is true that they set forth as people to be imitated, but only to the extent that they display Christ in their lives. And that was only possible after they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, or later, as for those who followed Anything prior than that seems to be suspect, but at least we can learn from their mistakes. The Bible record of Peter begins with the preaching of John the Baptist in the wilderness, 
close to the river Jordan and the Sea of Galilee. Peter and his younger brother Andrew had been affected by his call for repentance and spiritual renewal in preparation for the coming of the long-promised Messiah, and they had become his disciples. After Jesus <coughs> was baptized by John, he went into the wilderness for forty days to be tempted by Satan. Then he returned to where John was continuing to baptize. It was then when John saw Jesus approaching that he made the proclamation to all who were there. John chapter 1 and 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The following day, two of John's disciples were with him, and Jesus again approaches John, who says to them, Behold the Lamb of God. Down to verse 35. And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and <coughs> looking unto Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master or teacher. Where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he says, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. One of the two which heard Jesus speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew was one of the two disciples, and since Peter, his brother, was not the other one, then who was he? My guess would be John, the writer of this gospel, the son of Zebedee and brother of James, who were business partners with Peter. And Andrew, John never refers to himself by name in his gospel. Behold the Lamb of God. That was all it took for these two young men to follow Jesus. It shows that their heart's desire was to know and do God's will. John the Baptist was good. 
but he was only the signpost to the best. And they wanted the best for themselves, for their nation, and for the world. This was who they had been taught to look for all their lives. It was an opportunity not to be missed. It has always puzzled me why John the Baptist continued his ministry and why his disciples stayed with him. To this day there is a cult that considers John the Baptist to be the Messiah and Jesus just to be one of his disciples. As the two followed Jesus, he turns and asks them, What seek ye? And they respond, Where dwellest thou, Rabbi? This was a polite way to show that they were interested in getting to know Jesus and that they wanted him to teach them. And the Lord will always honor that desire. And he invited them to spend the night with him. The things they heard that night confirmed the words of John the Baptist, that he was indeed the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Holy One and Redeemer of Israel. I'm sure no one got much sleep that night. To be in the presence of the one who could answer all of life's questions was an opportunity not to be wasted. Now we come to the first mention of Peter. Eager to share what he had found, Andrew immediately goes and finds his brother Simon. Explains that they had found the Messiah and he takes him to meet his new master. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, is a strange greeting. It's certainly not a friendly Hi, I I guess you're Andrew's brother. He told me all about you last night. A casual glance and putting two and two together could have told him that. But we read that Jesus beheld him. This was no casual glance. The Lord observed him. And I believe that In that he saw his past, his present, and his future. Perhaps even Satan's desire to sift him. I don't know why he refers to Peter's father, since there's no record given of either of his parents. But in this and two other occasions, the Lord reminds him of his parentage. Perhaps it was his father's name, Jonas or Jonah, meaning dove. 
in his desire for his son when he named him Simon, one that hears, one that obeys. Perhaps it was that that Peter needed to be reminded of. Some think that the reference to Jonas here is not specifically to Peter's natural father, but possibly to his ancestral father, the prophet Jonah, with his responsibility to uphold the family honour. But regardless, it was his natural father who gave him his name. The Lord gives Peter a new name, Cephas, of Peter, meaning rock, not bedrock, such as required for the foundation of a, a large structure, but a rock that could be moved, but a rock nonetheless. At this time, Jesus was 30 years old, and Peter was reckoned to be about 31. He was a fisherman and partner with his brother Andrew and his neighbor Zebedee and his sons, James and John. Their home and business was located in Capernaum on the shores of Lake Galilee. The business must have been prosperous because they had servants. Peter was married, and his, mother, his wife and mother-in-law lived with him, as did his younger brother Andrew. The house must have been large, as it was capable, capable of accommodating more than the family. The local synagogue was close by. For in Mark chapter 1 and verses 29 to 31, and we read, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon, sorry, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Neither Peter's wife nor his mother-in-law is named in Scripture, and there is no mention of any children in the family. From Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we take it that Peter's wife had traveled with him on occasion. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 5, <coughs> Paul writes, Have we not power to lead about a sister or a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas? Early Christian writings writing say that Peter's wife was, mar was martyred shortly before he was, and he saw her on the way to her death. Peter seems to have had leadership ability and is often sp spokesman for the group that is usually mentioned first in any list of names. 
Matthew chapter 10 and 2, we read, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. He had a special position in the plan of the Lord. We read in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, and the Transfiguration Mount. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Leaders as he may have been, his impulsive nature often got him and others into trouble. But we're thankful that in the parable of the sower it was Peter who was prepared to admit that he didn't know and ask for an explanation of the parable of the sower. He did get things right when Jesus asked who people thought that he really was. In Matthew chapter 16, Verses 13 to 19. We read, When Jesus came into the course of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, so one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It wasn't on Peter as the rock, but it was on the rock of his confession. And thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and Whatsoever thou shalt loosen earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
This was the second occasion of the Lord's use of Peter's family name. Peter had occasional people problems, the same as most of us. In Matthew 18 we read, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? To seven times. I don't think he was referring to his blood brother Andrew. Here, a brother would mean anyone in the Jewish community. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Without Peter, we might not have had the story of the unforgiving servant. He was also concerned about his financial security. And since he seems to have divested himself of all his property, he wondered what the future held for himself and his family. In Luke 18, we read, Then Peter said, Lo, we, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or parents or brother or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Now I have to admit that I do not understand all of the Lord's reply. I realize this is technically Old Testament theology where righteous living was promised an earthly reward. But even in those times, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us it does not happen for everyone. But God has his purposes. One of Peter's greatest acts of faith was in getting out of the boat to walk in the water in the midst of a storm. Something he had never done before. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter is criticized for lack of faith, but he was the only one with enough faith to consider the possibility and to try. And he did walk on the water. The Lord chides him for having little faith, and it's true that is all he had left when he was in the middle of the storm. But that's not what he had when he went over the side of the boat without an approved personal flotation device. He deserves credit for that. Many times have we had faith to start, but not to continue. 
Unlike Peter, we have for a moment lost sight of the Master. So we have seen his impulsiveness often led him speaking before thinking. Again in Matthew 16, from that time forth Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That's a very sharp rebuke, but I don't think the Lord was saying that Peter was possessed. But Peter was trying to turn him from completing his life's purpose, as Satan had done in the wilderness. And it reminds us that good intentions are not enough in the things of the Lord. Peter loved his Lord. He believed that he was going to bring in the kingdom of God and he could not understand why, why his master would be crucified. And he wanted to suggest another way. But there was no other way. He does it again in the upper room when the Lord takes the servant's place and washes the disciples' feet. And he tells the Lord what he can do and what he can't do. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hand and my head. And later on that night, Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I shall smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all men shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any way. Likewise also said they all. So even in the way to Gethsemane, he is outspoken and self-confident as were the others. And often it's our confidence that we can do it in our own way, without the help of others, or even without the permission of the Lord, that leads us to our failures. In the garden he takes Peter, James and John, 
and ask them to watch with him while he prays. And later, as he cometh and findeth them sleeping, he said unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. The weakness of the flesh is something we must all guard against. It robs us of so much. Galatians 5 and 16 Paul writing, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. He again gets in the way as the mob comes to arrest the Lord. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Peter had perhaps slept through almost all of the Lord's prayer. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The thing most people remember about Peter is his denial of the Lord. He seldom remember that he risked his life to defend him and be near him. Nor do they recall the strength of the one who had asked to sift him as feet. He and John are the only ones of the twelve recorded as having followed the Lord unto his death. The Lord had given them ample warning that he was going to be crucified. But until it actually happened, they still had hope. I have only seen artists' impression of a crucifixion. People living there would be familiar with the sights, the sounds, the shame. It is any wonder Peter tried to avoid that. Can we believe that we would do better? The greatest part of that story is, of course, Peter's restoration to fellowship with his Lord. And it's also the third instance of the Lord's use of Peter's full name. It takes place by the Sea of Galilee after Christ's resurrection. And in John chapter 1, 21, we read, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, 
Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldst. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Each of these three occasions where Peter's full name was used proved to be a major point in his life. Even a new beginning. Each became the first day of the rest of his life. The first was his acceptance by Christ for the life ahead of him and the receiving of a new name. In those days, names were very important, and to give a person a new name was to claim ownership of him and sever him from his past life. Slave owners often did that. The second was committing to him the responsibility of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the third his restoration to fellowship and the charge to feed my sheep. Was Peter perfect after that? I don't think so. Not even after he was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. For we find in Paul's letter to the Galatians, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. I may be oversimplifying it, but behind Peter's failures, I seem to find fear of the future, fear of the changes that would affect his life, and he was always trying to prevent them. Are we any different? I don't think so. So the warning still stands, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And so does the promise. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, 
but will with the temptation also make the way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And so we learn that Peter was not all that different to ourselves. He was human, and the Lord used him greatly. Shall we pray? Father, we thank Thee that the Scriptures show the faults and failings of people like ourselves. It also shows the glory that can follow. As these people committed themselves again and again to Your work and to Your glory. And so we pray that we may have the same attitude in our lives. That whatever happens, the ups and the downs, we may ever look to Thee for the faith to do the work that You have called us to. We thank Thee again at this season for the gift of Thy Son. We pray for this assembly. You know the hearts of each one. You know each family, and we pray especially for the families with members who are frail or sick at this time. That this season, when it should be joyful, that they may realize that you are with them and that you are taking them through these times of trials. We pray for those who of unsaved relatives and would ask that the coming again of this time of year may cause them to think on the whole reason for the season. And so bless and comfort each one, we pray. Take us through the homes in safety, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.